0: i know a place where we can go to lay the troubles down eating your soul i know a place where mercy flows take the stains make you whiter than snow like a tire in is rising up deep inside a current that moves and makes you come alive living water that brings the dead to life oh, oh, oh we're going down to the river down to the river down to the river to pray yeah, yeah. let's go washed by the water washed by the water rise up in amazing grace let's go down 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 to the Let's go down, down, down to the river. I've seen it boom in my own life. Took me from dusty roads into paradise. All of my dirt, all of my shame. Drowned in the streams that have made me born again. Like a tide, it is rising up deep inside a current that moves and makes you come alive Living water that brings the dead to life Oh, oh, oh. we're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray Let's get washed by the water, washed by the water, rise up in amazing grace Let's go down, down, down to the river, let's go down, down, down to the river, let's go down, Going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river. Yeah, hey, hey, yeah, get washed by the water, washed by the water. Rise up in a maze. are no longer bound no longer bound you called me out of the grave you called me into the light you called my name and then my heart came alive your love is greater your love is stronger your love awakens 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 me your love is greater your love is stronger your love awakens Darkness shaking, all the dead are coming back to life. I'm back to life. Hear the song awaken, all creation singing. You're alive, cause you're alive. You called me out of the grave, you called me into the light. You called my name, and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater. Stronger. Our God will say, believe, believe. And the gates of hell will not prevail. For the power of God has gone. Living a new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back. He's coming back again.
1: We believe in the Holy Spirit and he's coming back again. Isn't that some powerful words? Sorry, I have to find Job for a second. Here we go. Uh, I know I talk about, oh hello, sorry. I know I talk about anger a lot, so I'm going to talk about it again because I'm kind of an angry person. Um. This morning, I got angry. Uh, I got angry at myself for some stuff that had happened uh, this morning before I got to church. I got angry at myself for not getting here on time. I got angry at myself for not knowing how to set up the drum set. Um, A lot of things to get angry for. Um, And I'm always amazed at how many lessons the Bible has for us uh, in in regards to our everyday lives. there's something for everybody in here, and it always is just amazing to me how relevant it could be, like, even 2,000 years later. That's insane to me. Um, so, oh, here we go. Um, I, was, I just finished Job this past week, another person who is angry at God. Uh, I'm justified. Why are you doing this to me? You know, I lost my wife, my family, my kids. Everything I've ever owned is gone. You've stricken me with a with disease. And then his friends come to try to help cheer him up, and they don't do a very good job. And then another guy comes to cheer him up, and he does okay. But then God shows up, and he's like, why are you calling out to me? Why are you telling me you are, you know, why? what What are you to me? You're nothing. We're nothing to God. We're, we're, we're the dirt that you walk on when you go from your front door to your car. That's what you are. That's what we all are. We're just dust and ash. Um I really like sea monsters <laughs> I think that's a cool idea that there's giant things living in the ocean um, and e- and even back then I know that you know there's stories about like old like fishing boats and stuff that get dragged down by sea monsters and stuff so I can only imagine being Job when God starts talking to him and he says this is Job uh, chapter 41 verse 1 can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Um, that was a weird last one to end on. Sorry about that. But uh, he's comparing himself to this massive creature that no one's ever seen before. And that's us. God is this massive presence that we can feel all the time but we nobody's ever seen him we've seen his works we've seen what he does in our lives but we never seen him so when you are feeling angry or frustrated or anything in your life sad angry at god i know i keep going back to anger sorry about that uh, if you feel emotional toward god and you say why have you done this to me why have you done this in my life well i'm justified here i did everything right and you did you've messed up somewhere that is 110 percent not the case there's always a plan he is always looking out for you. If you are in the depths of despair and you are just not seeing the light at all, talk to somebody. There's hundreds, not hundreds, there's tens of people in this church that you, can, that you can talk to, that you can talk to and express your feelings of anger and resentment toward. And guess what? Talking helps. So if you're somewhere and you need somebody, if you need God, find someone to pray with today. Find somebody after church. There's all of us stick around after for a, way longer than we probably need to, but find somebody and talk to them today say, if you need that in your life. Here at Real Life, we practice open communion, which is, uh, there's a table over there and a table over here. There it is, back there in the dark. Um, whenever you're ready, if you have uh, accepted Jesus Christ, uh, whenever you're ready to go do that during this next song, you can feel free to do that. Uh, let's pray dear god i pray over this congregation that we uh that no matter what we're feeling especially feelings of anything toward you that you're able to put a gentle hand on our heart and calm the storm within us that we are able to see you uh, see your works see what you do in our lives see what you do in others lives Uh, prayers that get answered people that uh, survivors that make it through things Um, nobody has ever gone through something alone somebody else has always gone through it before that can give experience and life wisdom given from you you tell us where does wisdom come from and it's not of the earth wisdom comes from only you um and I pray that you're able to bestow a little bit of that wisdom uh from from you um onto this congregation this week and help us us keep our eyes focused on you in your name we pray amen
0: sit down and All who dream, and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chain and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all those labeled right or wrong.
2: Of you that are here this morning. <laughs> it's really confident boosting, Trevor. Thanks. Uh, I, I was gonna say, um, Trevor always does such a good job. I think maybe this year in 2020, we're gonna have to have him preach for us one Sunday. Yeah. We, we'll let him see what it's like to speak to tens of you. So uh, anyway. <laughs> This last Thursday, uh, my wife's cousin's daughter, okay? So we have a wife, has a cousin, lives down in Texas, uh, planted a church a few years ago. um, And uh, his oldest daughter, I think she's in her mid to late 20s, something like that. Thursday at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, she had a post on Facebook. And I want to share that with you, um, what she had to say. She got married last year to a guy named Matt. Uh, And her name is Reagan, and and here's what she wrote on Facebook. Matt and I recently started tithing. We went to church and heard a couple of great sermons on tithing. Tithing, even growing up in church, has never been a priority in my life. Trevor talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, Matt and I, she said, talked and prayed about it, and we committed. We started with just 10% of our already tight incomes. And then we packed our lives up, and we moved for the Air Force, not knowing when our next paycheck would come. I was told it would be a while before we got paid, and our savings were not where they needed to be. March 1st, she said, is Monday. Rent is due. That's not really true. March 2nd is Monday, but whatever. Uh, Rent is due, she said. Matt and I have student loan payments, and the cost of moving had our heads spinning. But let me just say, God is so good. We got paid today. He provides. And stressing about something like money is so not worth it and insulting to our amazing God. She wraps up this way, test him. Let him show you how faithful of a God he is. He will always provide. And I recommend putting not only your faith in him, but your financial faith. I hope today that you're in a place in your life where you can put your financial faith as well as your faith for life in our amazing God Um, because he shows up and he gets involved when we trust him and we put our faith in him. Today, you have the opportunity to give, to support the mission and ministry of, of real life, but really just to put your trust and your faith in God so you can give cash or check when the buckets come down the row if you just pass those down as they come through that would be great you can also go to reallifecc.us click on the little orange icon in the bottom right hand corner of the screen and if you do that there's two things you need to know number one it would be really handy if you went through the process of setting up an account or made sure that you were signed in there'll be a little person icon Uh, once you click on that it'll be a little person icon up there to know you're signed in but secondly if you give if you give through that uh, app with your checking account, your bank account, there is zero cost to you and zero cost to us if you do that. Um, now, you can put a credit card, debit card in there or whatever, but if you give straight from your, your bank account, um, there's no cost for anybody, and so it's an awesome uh, choice. Hope that you uh, have that level of faith in, in God today whatever uh, level you decide to give this morning. God's moved your heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, all that you do. Uh, thank you for showing up in Matt and Reagan's life. And thank you for showing up in our lives. God, we just um, thank you for what you're doing here uh, in this church, the lives that you're changing and transforming. And we just thank you for that. And just ask that you would uh, lead us to continue to do that. that more and more people, that every person possible would find real life in your son, Jesus Christ. And would look more like him every day. God, that's what we want to do. That's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we come. So we can look more like you and we can help more people find you. Would you help us do that, God, through these gifts this morning? In Jesus' name. So um, we're going to kick off this morning a brand new series called 21 Days. And I uh, want to start off with a quote by Dave Ramsey. He said, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. You ever, you ever feel like that? I think that's a pretty good definition. Uh, having a budget tells your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. The difference between those who budget, though, and those who don't Let me tell you, because we struggled with this for many years in our lives, the difference between those who budget and those who don't is a little word, uh, discipline. Yikes, right? That's a tough word. An unknown author said this, discipline is the difference between what you want now and what you want most. And I might say it this way, discipline is the distance between what you want and what you have. Getting to what you want from where you are, or what you have, the thing that's going to get you there is discipline. Discipline in your life. When you think of discipline, what comes to mind? Is there anything that comes to mind? I'll tell you what comes to my mind when I think of of discipline. Um, And if you've been around here a long time, you've probably heard this story, but my parents uh, had a paddle. Anybody, parents have a paddle? Yeah, okay. You're like responsible people, right? (laughs) Mom and dad had a paddle. They kept it up on top of the fridge in our house. All my years growing up, the paddle was on top of the fridge. And if you got in trouble and you needed the paddle, you had to go get it. That was the worst walk from whatever room you were in to the kitchen. Like the fridge is supposed to give you comfort and hope, right? When you're depressed and you're sad, you go to the fridge and you feel better. Not in my house uh, growing up. We went to the fridge to get the paddle off the top. So our paddle, um, I just found out, was made from an old piece of flooring. It was three quarters of an inch thick of solid oak. It had a handle carved into one end of it so you could grip it better. And on this paddle, which was about, I don't know, three and a half or four inches wide, my loving mother had wrote on one side in um, Sharpie, for naughty PKs, that's preacher's kids, you didn't know. On the other side, she again lovingly turned it over and wrote all of our kids' names, Kurt, Connie, Corey, just in case anybody found it and wanted to know what but it belonged to. <laughs> then, they, then they knew. Um, when, when I was a kid, like, we didn't get time out, right? We, we didn't get toys taken away. I don't think in the history of my life I was ever grounded. Those things were child's play, in my parents home Um, my parents skipped basic training they went straight to special forces level discipline (laughs) that's the that's the way it was i I love to tell this story and and i know that my mother doesn't watch our live feed so i can tell you this Uh, when i was 17 years old i was walking across the living room Um, this is how much control my folks had walking across the living room and i happened to pass my my mother And as I walked past her, she reached out with her right hand and slapped me across the face. I don't even think we had said a word, and I was stunned. What did you do that for? And here was her response. She will deny this, by the way, but it's absolutely true. She says, well, I slapped your brother when he was 17, so I figured I needed to do it to you too. She loved us. (laughs) We talk about discipline in in our lives, or maybe discipline from parents, or maybe you are a parent and you've had that discipline discussion with your spouse, but I think when we talk about discipline, we also have to talk about spiritual discipline. What kind of thoughts does that conjure up? Let let me share a few things that I um, thought about in terms of spiritual discipline um, this week. There's a story in the Old Testament of a clan of people that had come out of Egypt with Moses. And they had decided that Moses shouldn't probably be the ruler. And so this clan of people came to the um, temple, the tabernacle there, and they were going to uh, form a coup and they were going to overthrow Moses. Um, God was displeased with that. So as the story goes, the ground opened up and 10,000 of them fell in to their death. Spiritual discipline. Virtually the entire army of Egypt was buried at the bottom of the sea as they tried to attack Israel. Um, Miriam, there's a story about Miriam, Moses' sister, and she tried to take over leadership uh, of the nation from Moses and immediately got what the Bible calls leprosy. It was just a skin disease. Can you tell that all my Bible reading so far this year has been in Exodus and Numbers? So all those stories come from that. Virtually every natural disaster in, I don't know, the last 4,000 years has been blamed on God's discipline. You remember Hurricane Katrina? There were those on TV who said that was God's discipline on that state. Or how about when I was um, growing up as a kid and the AIDS epidemic? There was lots of people on TV talking about how that was God's discipline on people. And, and I would bet that if you looked hard enough... You, or maybe you wouldn't even have to look very far. You'd find that there's some joker out there saying that the coronavirus is God's discipline on humanity. By the way, um, and don't come back and get me if this isn't true, but I think the coronavirus is going to be over by summer. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just crazy that way. I don't know. We'll see, because if it proves that, that I'm right, then um, you just have to call me a prophet or something. And if I'm wrong... We won't talk about that. Almost everyone believes that discipline comes from something bad that you've done in your life. All right? When, when you were a kid and you swore, Mom washed your mouth out with soap. Maybe you broke your curfew, curfew and you got grounded. We, we understand this concept that like if you sin, We believe that God brings about some spiritual or physical or emotional punishment. But what if we've been looking at discipline, primarily spiritual discipline, completely wrong? See, I think discipline and punishment are not the same thing. Punishment, I believe, is a negative reaction to a problem. Typically, punishment is born out of anger. Punishment is often swift or seen as a swift solution punishment focuses on the individual who needs to be punished you did something wrong you deserve this you were bad but discipline is different discipline i think puts the focus not on the person but on the uh, uh, problem discipline puts the focus on the person not the not the problem discipline looks at the person where you're at and what's going on in your life, and not just the problem. Discipline points to the future, not the failure. Discipline promises growth. It doesn't just bring harm. Our bottom line today is this, as we go through this morning's message. The goal of discipline, then, is growth. The goal of discipline is growth. See, eventually, punishment loses its effectiveness. If you don't believe me, just look at our prison system. Punishment really doesn't work long term, but discipline never reaches an end. The writer of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12 says this, The Lord disciplines those he loves like a father the son he delights in. And I love that because it doesn't say as, a father, the, son, uh, uh, as the father does the son he's angry with or the the child that he hates, or the child that he despises, but a father disciplines the child he delights in. Does that sound like a father who's angry and upset and gonna punish you for the things you did wrong? I think that sounds like a father who loves his child and wants to see him grow up to be all that God created him to be. Discipline is always forward focused towards growth. And spiritual discipline functions in the same way spiritual discipline helps us look more like jesus because you can't look like jesus if you aren't doing what jesus did what jesus practiced and he practiced spiritual discipline And so in this new series, we're going to look at three spiritual disciplines that will help us grow to look more like Jesus in our everyday lives. And and here they are. We're going to look at the spiritual discipline of, of reading. We're going to call it reading. It's actually reading God's word, being in God's word. Secondly, we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of prayer. That's next Sunday. And then lastly, we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of fasting. And that'll be the last Sunday of this series. So to get us started today, we're going to look at the importance of what we're going to call sitting at Jesus' feet, and that's a metaphor that we're going to use throughout this series as we talk about discipline in our lives. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning, beginning in verse 38. Luke chapter 10, if you have your mobile device, you can go there, Uh, you can follow along on the screen, you can go to reallifecc.us, scroll across and click to the My Message Notes And uh, all of this stuff is there, including that uh, text. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Here's what Luke writes. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him. She came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. If you're you're an older sibling, you've probably done that before, right? Gone to mom and dad or somebody. Tell my brother to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or maybe just one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Now, let me give you a little background here what's um, going on in this text. Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Maybe you know that name. Lazarus was the guy that Jesus brought back from the dead. Now, that hasn't happened yet when this story takes place. Uh, it was uh, sometime later, but they lived in a town called Bethany. And Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus stayed there in Bethany Um, with, most likely, with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus most of the time when he came to Jerusalem. In fact, I, I was looking and I couldn't remember, maybe it happened, but I don't remember a time that Jesus ever stayed overnight in Jerusalem until his capture and crucifixion. I think, as far as my recollection, that's the first time that Jesus ever stayed overnight in Jerusalem. He would go into Jerusalem and he would preach, and then he would come out of Jerusalem and he would go back to Bethany and he would stay, most likely with Martha, Mary, and their brother. It appears that their family may have been well off uh, financially because they pop up several times in the scripture and they're always helping. Jesus and the disciples they, they appear to be not just followers of, of Jesus but also financial supporters of his ministry now I want you to remember something about what's going on here the text tells us that Jesus and his disciples were on their way most likely to Jerusalem when they stopped at Bethany but Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't have call ahead service right Like Jesus couldn't stop when he was a few miles out or maybe the day before, called him up and go, hey, I'm coming in tomorrow and wonder if I could stay with you. I think that Martha probably had an idea that Jesus would be coming through and that he would be going to Jerusalem, but she had no idea when he was going to arrive until he actually showed up in town. And when she finds out that he's there, she goes to him, and, and she says, I want you to come and stay at my home. Now, I think Jesus probably, like, that was kind of expected. Like, they just let him come, and, and his disciples come all the time. But the point is, she didn't know. You ever had somebody show up at your house um, unexpected? Does that ever throw you into a little bit of a panic like, uh, I didn't, you know, I don't have pants on or whatever it is in your house. I don't know. I didn't clean. I have to clean the bathroom. Like, I got to cook stuff. I don't know what's in the fridge. I don't know what's going on. And so there's this little bit of panic. So all of a sudden, Jesus, and remember, it's not just Jesus. It's the 12 dudes that are with him. So these 13 grown men show up and Martha's like, hey, I want you to come and stay at my house. But then that means that she's got to do a lot of work, right? There's food that has to be prepared. There's beds and things that have to be organized. There's a lot of logistical stuff that's going on here. And it happens on the spur of the moment. I think it would be pretty nerve-wracking. But if you were a dutiful person, if you were one of those people who just does what's expected of you, right? I mean, you'd just handle it. And you'd take care of it. And and more importantly than that, you'd probably do that in a way that didn't let your guest of honor really know that you were like frazzled on the inside, right? I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that our guest doesn't have any issues, any problems, doesn't feel out of place or unwanted or unwelcome at all, even though things are kind of going crazy on the inside. I think Martha's probably the oldest of the, the three, Lazarus would not have been expected to help with with any of the food or any of the preparations um, partly because he's a dude and partly because Jesus is there Jesus and Lazarus they're friends and so Lazarus is there like he's listening he's involved he's in part of the the conversation and what's happening and so Martha is there left with just Mary to be host to Jesus and his disciples only Mary has another plan right Instead of hurrying off to make preparations, Mary just plops herself down at Jesus' feet to listen to what he has to say. Now, I don't know for sure, because contrary to proper belief, I did not grow up in the first century. But I think I have a bit of an idea of how they did things back then. We typically think about Bible times in terms of what we're comfortable with in our own experience, right? So when it talks about how Jesus and the disciples sat down to have a meal together, what do we picture? We picture our kitchen table, right? We're all sitting at the kitchen table, uh, dining room table, and we're sitting on chairs and the food is all there, but that's not the way it was in the first century. A first century table was about 14 to 16, maybe 18 inches off the ground. And the people would eat at it with their right hands because they would be reclining at the table. Their feet away from the table, they'd be um, propped up on their left elbow and they would eat with their right hand um, looking at the table kind of in the middle and they would all kind of be around a circle or square around the table. Now, the most um, there are two prized possessions in, in that situation when you were at the table. You could be either right in front of the guest of honor, which means... Um, that your back was facing them, but they could speak to you very clearly because your head was right there. The other position was right behind the guest of honor because you would be able to speak into their ear. So an interesting dynamic that was going on here around the table. But they were probably not around the table at this time. Most likely, they were in a room, maybe outside or inside, I don't know, but they were probably in some room and all sitting down on some kind of makeshift pillows on the floor. And Mary comes into the center of this maybe circle, and she sets herself down right there in front of Jesus, and so that everybody could see her. She literally kind of put herself in the center of what was going on. Now, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but she was in a highly visible, I would say almost in that culture, an obnoxious position and I'm sure it made many of the men in the room irritated. I think they would have been irritated because they would have expected Mary to do her duty and serve them along with her sister Martha, right? They would have expected that she would go off into the kitchen or wherever that they need to do things and she would help prepare the food and get things ready and, 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 and make, uh, make adjustments to things and then, and then serve them. Women were not really allowed to speak to men that weren't their husbands in public settings, and they really weren't um, allowed to be involved in spiritual-type discussions. That was beyond them. In fact, we look at Scripture, we find out that, that the culture of the day was that if a woman had a spiritual question, or really any question about anything, she was to go home and ask her husband in private. That was the position in that time of women. Also, women were treated more like property than people by pretty much every male in society except Jesus. And so Mary kind of created this atmosphere that was almost um, toxic. It just wasn't good. In the mind of the men that were sitting around there, they would have been very uncomfortable with this situation that was going on. And there's a sharp distinction then between Mary and Martha. Mary sits at Jesus' feet, focused on what he has to say as though nothing else mattered. But Martha was distracted, the text says, by all the preparations. And you go, what was she distracted from? Like you might think uh, she wasn't distracted from anything. She was doing her job exactly like she should have. But the text says that she was distracted by the preparations. Well, what is she distracted from while making those preparations? And I really think the only thing that she could have been distracted from was what Jesus was saying. She was focused on the preparations, and so she couldn't listen, she couldn't hear, she couldn't be attentive to what Jesus was talking about. And so Martha smartly goes to Jesus, and she says, hey, i need you to get involved like again this is why i think martha is probably the oldest in the in the family it's because she understands the power dynamic in the household right so she goes to jesus because she knows mary isn't going to listen to her mary isn't going to do what she says martha could be there all day going mary help me mary help me mary help me and mary go i don't care who are you you're not my mama So she goes to Jesus, because like, look, Mary's listening to Jesus. Everybody's listening to Jesus. You do what Jesus says. So she goes to Jesus. She interrupts what's going on, and she says, listen to everybody. I don't know, maybe other people could hear And she's there going, hey, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. Tell her to get involved. Tell her to stop wasting her time and get in the kitchen where she belongs. There's a lot of animosity, I think, here between what Martha was doing because I believe Martha thought that her role in the household was extremely important. Let me just ask, if Jesus showed up at your door today, how would you function this afternoon for lunch? I'll bet you might want to listen to him, but you'd also want to make sure that you gave him the best possible experience. And I think that's what Martha was doing. It wasn't that she didn't want to listen to Jesus, but in that moment, she was taking care of things to give Jesus the best experience possible in her home. Listen to what Jesus says. I, I think he, just he, like Jesus, man, he just has this way of talking, like, he's so kind, and, and yet what he says is just so like I must have been a dagger to her heart. And yet you look at him, I don't know, like having a puppy, you know, and the puppy messes on the floor and you want to be mad at the puppy, but the puppy's just looking at you with those eyes and you just Oh, I just can't be mad at you. I think that's kind of what it was like, okay, sorry God for comparing you to a puppy. But anyway, you get this idea that Jesus is there and he's so kind and yet what he said just cuts her to the heart. He, he, just, goes, he just goes, Martha, Martha. Like I see him looking up and he's listening to her and she's like, tell my sister to help me. And he just kind of puts his head down. He says, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things but only one is needed. Remember the story about Reagan and Matt that I shared in the offering talk? That kind of reminds me about this situation. In our lives, we get worried and upset about a lot of things, and there's a lot of things in life to get worried and upset about. We're worried about our kids and, and what they're doing at school and what's happening, and if they're being okay, if they're getting bullied, if their grades are, are slipping. We're worried about our finances. We're, we're worried about all kinds of things in our life, but once God intervenes, We're like, only one thing was needed. Like, I think if that's where Matt and and Reagan were like, we're worried and we're upset about all this stuff. We don't know where the money's gonna come from. But as soon as God intervenes and they got that check, it was like, oh, everything, like all I needed to do was trust. Like, this is okay. I could have saved myself all of this worry. And I think for them, the one thing that was needed for Matt and Reagan was trust. And in this moment with Mary and Martha, I think the one thing that was needed was devotion. Devotion to what Jesus had to say. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote this about, uh, in a message that he preached about this, this text. He said this, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but, 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 wait a while and hear that wise and warning But. May have been very useful to many here. You are engaged, he said, today in business. Very diligently you are in it. You you throw your whole energy into your trading as you must if you want to succeed. You rise up wearily. You sit up late. Shall I say a word that discourages your industry? I will not. But, but is there nothing else else? Is this life all? Is making money everything? Jesus finishes with this. Mary chose what is better, and it won't be taken away. And we need to be careful here because Jesus didn't say that Mary chose what was right or that Mary chose what was good or what was special. He simply said that she chose better. And that's important because what had Martha chosen? She had chosen to have Jesus at her house. She had chosen to make the best possible experience she could for him. She was trying to bless him, and that's not wrong. But the better blessing in that moment was being in Jesus' presence. See, Martha was distracted from what was better in that moment, listening to Jesus, the Son of God, speak life. In Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he says this, Good is the enemy of great. The difference between good and and, and bad is obvious. But the incremental changes necessary to go from good to great are difficult. See, Martha hadn't chosen a bad thing. She just hadn't chosen the better thing in that moment. We're going to spend the rest of our time together looking more closely at that idea. And so I'm going to break down these two responses from Martha and from Mary, Uh, break them down like this, sitting and serving. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he had to say, while Martha was busy serving Jesus. Now, I believe that sitting compels you to serve, and serving causes you to sit. That may not make a great deal of sense right now, but it will in just a moment, I promise. One of the challenges that we face in the church is the feeling that creeps in little by little when we um, serve. And I think it's what Martha was struggling with. See, if you're passionate at a, about a particular area of ministry, you pour yourself into that. And the danger that can come from that is eventually you begin thinking that everybody in church should have the same passion as you. That we should all care about the same thing that you care about if you're passionate about the, a particular area of ministry let's say kids ministry or the welcome team you can come to a point where you think everybody should be serving in those areas that they should all feel the same way about it that you do and so when other people aren't serving in the way that you are you can get worried and upset and when you're upset you have all kinds of crazy thoughts that run through your head right so we, we create these scenarios in our minds when we're upset about something. When something gets under our skin, here in Kansas we say, uh, it sticks in your craw. I don't know what a craw is or what gets stuck in it, but you know because you're from here. We get these thoughts in our head and they go around and, and we, we build these entire scenarios about what somebody else is thinking based on just some outside look. And, and so we'll say things like, well, she just doesn't care she doesn't care like me, right? Or he should know better, because I know better. Or, or they just need to grow up, because I'm grown up. But look at this from Mary's perspective. I don't think Mary had left Martha to do the work. I think she had chosen Jesus. I think she was so excited about him being there, and being able to listen to him, and having, them, having him in her house, that she couldn't think about anything else. She was totally overwhelmed with that moment, with what was going on at being in the presence of Jesus. I want you to consider this. I've thought about this in relation to what's going on here. I hadn't really thought about it before, but as I was working on it this week, I had this thought. If Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their family was supporters financially of Jesus' ministry, and they had a house that was big enough to hold Jesus and, and his 12 disciples when they came in. Um, who knows where they slept, but, but they were able to, to, to handle all of those people. There's a good chance that they had enough money to have some help in their family. And so maybe they had some people that worked for them to help prepare the food and take care of the home and, and do some of those other things. And so, and so it kind of puts a little different spin on what's going on in Martha's mind, right? Because we get this picture, at least I did anyway, as I'm thinking about Martha. Well, Martha's out like like she's butchering a cow out in the backyard to serve for dinner. That's a big deal. And she comes in and she's all bloody and gross and got like stuff hanging off of her. And she comes to Jesus and goes, hey, tell Mary to come help me. We don't don't have any vegans in the house, do we? Sorry about that. (laughs) If we do, well, you know, go mow the lawn and you'll get the same feeling. Okay, anyway, that was not, that was bad. I'm, I'm sorry, if you're on um, Facebook watching, uh, I don't, please me. Okay, so, so she comes in and we get this idea that she's working and she just, you know, working her fingers to the bone and all that stuff. She comes into Mary and she's like, man, Mary won't help me. But what if that's not really the case? What if Martha was just overseeing the work that was being done by other people? Does that put a different spin on it? Like, yes, she needed to make sure that all of these things were happening and things were just exactly the way they were supposed to be. Like, my wife made me watch Downton Abbey, and so everything in life goes back to Downton. So I picture Martha as, as kind of like, you know, Mr. Carson, and he's in there, he's making sure that everything is exactly right so that when, um, when the rest of the family comes in, that everything is just perfect. But if that was the case... And if Martha was just making sure that everybody else did the work that she thought needed to be done, that kind of changes the way we look at Mary, right? Because that work, the food and the preparation and all that stuff, that was going to get done, whether Martha was there or not, because there were people to do it. Martha just wanted to make sure that it was perfect. Mary was focused more on Jesus, Either way, Martha appears to look down at Mary in this moment. And you know, I think the same thing happens generationally in church and in life today. Martha was older. Mary was probably younger. And and so let me just say it this way, and I had a whole bunch of other stuff to say, but for time I'm going to skip over it. Here's what I want you to get. Today's Martha, the older one, is yesterday's Mary. Does that, does that make sense? Today's Martha, who's focused on the, the getting everything done and making sure it's just perfect, who's responsible and taking care of stuff and wanting to do the best she can, maybe yesterday was sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, as we, as we grow, as we mature, as we get older, things tend to change, right? And instead of just having fun and whatever we want to do, now we're thinking about other people. We're thinking about the social stuff. We're thinking about making sure all the little um, uh, uh, things are done that need to be done. Jesus says one thing is needed. Now this is going to show my age a little bit, but it kind of reminds me of Curly's one thing. Do you remember that? So these slickers, Curly's just one thing, and if you find out what that is, I won't quote the West. So what's the one thing? I think that changes based on the moment that you're in. See, I think for Amber, uh, our student ministries director, the one thing that's needed is for each and every young person from birth through high school to learn about Jesus on their level. And She's passionate about achieving that goal each and every Sunday. She wants to see that happen. For Sheila, I think the one thing uh, uh, might be, she heads up our hospitality ministry, the one thing for her might be that every person possible has that comfort cup, right? Here's what we know about having a drink in your hand. Um, especially if you're new to church and you're not sure about all these crazy people that you're going to run into. If you have a cup, you have space. It's like, uh, just pretend that your coffee cup is the handle of your lightsaber. And you just go, like, stay away, back up. See, I have this space around me and nobody can get to me when I have a cup of coffee. It puts us at ease because it creates space between us and other people, just some of the psychology. And so I think that, that, that probably for Sheila, she wants people to come to church and not feel threatened, to, to have that good experience. For Tristan, who leads our worship team with Andy, uh, her one thing might be that every person on Sunday experiences true worship so that Holy Spirit has an opportunity to speak to our hearts. We need moments where we serve. And we need moments where we sit. See, I think we see this thing happening. If you sit but never serve, you're going to miss out because Jesus said he came to serve. Jesus said, I came to to serve others. And so if we sit at the feet of Jesus all the time and we never serve, we're missing out on what Jesus said his priority was, to serve other people. But if you serve and never sit, you're going to burn out because you can't pour anything from an empty cup. And so we really need both of those things working at the same time. Serving is necessary to look like Jesus, but your service should grow out of the time that you sit. Let me go back to Charles Spurgeon. He said, The mere posture of sitting down and listening to the Savior's word was nothing in itself. It was that which it indicated. It indicated, in Mary's case, A readiness to believe what the Savior taught, to accept and then to obey, nay, to delight in the precepts which fell from his lips. And this is the one thing needful, absolutely needful. For no rebel can enter the kingdom of heaven with the weapons of rebellion in his hand. We cannot know Christ While we resist Christ, we must be reconciled to his gentle sway and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, my question is this what moment are you in? Do you need to sit and learn, or is it time to get up for a while and serve? Both are disciplines, and both are needed. Let me, let me get a little personal for a moment in, in church, okay? Let me step on some toes. Have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Anybody ever heard of that? That rule says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And it's true in church and it's true at your job. You could probably think about that for a second and, and prove that to be true. When it comes to church, if every person decided sitting was best, let me tell you what would happen. If every person at real life decided that sitting was better than serving, we'd never have a second time guest. We might have first time guests, but we'd never have somebody come back. If we all thought that sitting was better than serving, parents would stop coming because they couldn't focus in church because their children were here. If we all focused on sitting, no offering would be received. No groups would be led. There'd be no music. And eventually, there'd be no people. And ultimately, every person that could have possibly found real life in Jesus might die without him. At real life, we've got one service. This is it. Here we are. And so if you serve you're going to miss out on sitting. And right now, far more people are sitting than serving. By the way, that's true of every single church that I'm aware of. And it's about 80-20. We got people in kids' church, and we got people in the nursery, welcome team, and part of the band. And what that means is that those who serve have to find other times to sit, sit at the feet of Jesus, so they have the strength to serve each and every week. See, there's a time to sit and there's a time to serve, and you'll go back and forth between the two. But sitting, learning from Jesus, should compel you to serve like he did. And serving will cause you to sit in order to fill up again with his strength. And so here's your choice today. Is it time to serve and be used by Jesus? Or is it time to sit and learn from Jesus. If it's time to serve, you need to be prepared that you're going to have to find time to sit. And so maybe during the week, you're going to have to find time to, to go back and watch our live stream or, or watch the message that we post about Tuesday afternoon um, on, our, on our website. You're going to have to find time to be in the Word or listening or, or watching other people. If it's time for you to sit, here are some ways that we can do that together. Back at the Connection Hub today, there are a bunch of booklets, and they look like this. There's about six pages, um, front and and back, and there are three sections to each of these booklets. The first one is uh, about reading, and uh, it'll tell you some things like when and what and how to do that, and then there's a couple of 25-day uh, Bible reading programs in here. One of them is the New Testament about the gospel. The other one is the Old Testament. In the second section, it talks about praying. And there are three specific areas of prayer that we as a church are going to focus on over the next three weeks. And then the last section in the book, probably the biggest section, is about fasting. That, that doesn't mean going fast, Okay. It means abstaining from something. It's a spiritual thing. And in the back of the book, there's information on what fasting is and what it is not, how to do it and when to do it for those who choose. Because by the third week of this series, we'll be talking about what we can each fast from as we prepare for Easter. The point is this, that we would take the next three weeks to sit at the feet of Jesus so that we can be prepared to serve come Easter. On Easter this year, we're praying for our biggest Easter service yet, and more importantly, that every person possible might find real life in Jesus through those services, because we're expecting God to continue to grow his church. Have you looked around recently? Those of you who've been coming for a while, have you looked around recently? Have you paid attention to the numbers uh, in the bulletin sheet that you get when you come in? Have you noticed that um, we're having uh, 35 or more kids in Kids Church every Sunday? Do you know that we're running out of space in there? Like if we have 35 kids, that's about the max number that we can, I mean, like our workers are like pulling their hair out. Like it is crazy in there. And, and so um, we're, we're hoping for our biggest service. The church is growing. There's some momentum uh, as we move into Easter, and I'm excited about what God is going to do during this time. So here's the challenge for you um, this week. I think on the back table, there's about 40 uh, of, these, of these booklets, which means we don't have one probably for everybody, because I figured not everybody would take one. Um, But we have enough for every uh, couple to take one, every family unit, whether that's one or or two or more people to to take that. So I just want to encourage you to take this, to go through the reading program and commit to doing that for the next 21 to 25 days. To go through when it talks about prayer and and read about that and then join me uh, over the next three weeks as we prepare for specific things leading up to Easter. And then in the third week, be prepared That you're going to be challenged to take a fast of some sort during that time. And I think that as we do this together, whether we're serving or not, if we take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus, to read and to pray and then to fast, that we'll see God move in ways that we have not seen to this point. So I hope that you'll join me in that. And do you know what happens in, um, by the way, the beginning of Luke chapter 11? I think this is really cool. So we just wrapped up Luke chapter 10. That's what Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the very end of that chapter, we see about sitting, we see about serving. But if you flip over to Luke chapter 11, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. I think that's cool. We're going to take time to sit at Jesus' feet to pray and to read, and to fast, not only for our discipline, for our spiritual growth, so that we might look more like Jesus, but so that every person possible could find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. That's our goal. I hope you'll join me in that. You can pick up those booklets on the back table, the Connection Hub, when the service is over. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you have done and all that you will do. Thank you for being a, a God that has every one of us in your hand. You know each and every situation and thing that we're, we're going through, and, and that's why none of us need to be worried and distracted about the things that are going on in our life. We simply need to, to do that one thing that's needed in each and every moment, to trust, to give, to serve, to love, to look more like Jesus in every moment of every day. God, I ask that you would especially be with us as a church, as a family, as we move through the next three weeks, as we we dive in together in reading your word, as we pray together specifically each week, and then in week three as we fast together, to grow our own spiritual discipline, but also to call on you to be active and alive and working among us and in this community. God, we look to you to do incredible and amazing things. As you have done, we know you'll continue to do. So God, I, I pray that we would come to you. We would come to you as, as, the, as the river of, of life, as the spring of living Water as the fountain in the, in the desert that sustains us and fills us and allows us to overflow to those around us. Would we come to you? Would we be filled up? Would we be then able to serve and let that spill out to others? God, would you be with us in, in Jesus' name? Amen. Hey, let's stand up together and, and we're gonna close out uh, talking about what happens when we come to Jesus, and we worship Him together, and uh, then you stop by and get that on uh, at the Connection Hub on your way out.
0: I know a place where we can go to lay the troubles that I need in your soul. I know a place where mercy flows. Take the states, make you whiter than snow. Like a tide, Rising up deep inside a current that moves and makes you come alive. Living water that brings the dead to life. Oh, oh, oh. we're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. Yeah, yeah. Let's get by the water, bored by the water. And rise up in amazing ways. Let's go down, down, down to the river. Dirt. All of my shame drowned in the streams that have made me born again. Like a tide, it is rising up deep inside a current that moves and makes you come alive. Living water that brings it day to life. Oh, 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 we're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. Let's get washed by the water, get washed by the water. Rise up in the Navy's Let's go down, down. the river down to the river down to the river to pray let's by the water wars by the water rise up in the amazing let's go down 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 to the river let's go down 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 to the river Go, gotta go down in amazing grace. Go, 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 gotta go, gotta go, gotta go down in amazing grace. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for being here. Also, happy birthday, mom.